Hello and welcome to Abuse Isn't What You Think. I'm your host, Jackie Graybill. This episode features a special session with me that was recorded for the online Trauma to Triumph Sisterhood Challenge and may refer to other guests or things that were said throughout the challenge. This episode begins with some content, continues with an EFT tapping session, and it ends with a journaling challenge. If you want to hear more about what EFT tapping is for an explanation, please check out episode four, where EFT tapping practitioner Kim Marshall explains tapping and gives us a demonstration. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find the timestamps. So if you want to go straight to the tapping, feel free to do that. Hello and welcome to day six of the Trauma to Triumph Challenge. We are in the home stretch, and today I have some juicy, juicy content for you. We are going to talk all about our trauma stories and really start to dig into some of what has happened to us. And we get to talk about one of my favorite topics coercive control. If you haven't heard of this, it is absolutely life changing. At least I found it to be life changing when I first heard the concept in my master's studies. This is something that is very well understood in the UK, but is just starting to make its way in the consciousness of the public into the United States. And it is a game changer in understanding what has happened. So to start out, we're going to do something a little different today. We get to have story time with Jackie, and I am going to read you a story that I wrote, a short little story that really is a metaphor for what it feels like to be in these kinds of relationships that we've been talking about. And a lot of it is based on my personal story, not all of it, but I think you're going to enjoy this. This is called The Fish and the Hook. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful fish. She was independent and successful. Every day she would swim the waters confidently. One day she was drawn in by a shiny jewel of a fish. He had everything she seemed to want and she couldn't believe her luck. Others might have called it a quick courtship, but she knew what she was looking for, and he was it. Once she committed to him, though, she felt a hook tighten around her a little bit. She thought, it must be me. She didn't see what was really happening, and that she was in a relationship with a hook, not a fish. She struggled to work on their relationship, but the hook just got tighter. She began to suspect that something wasn't right in this relationship. He told her it was all in her imagination, that she was seeing and feeling things that were not there. Eventually, she met a fish who swam by and said, Darling, why are you staying on the hook? Don't you see what's happening to you? That hook is going to destroy you. Finally, her eyes were opened, and she began planning her escape from the hook. It would not be easy, though. It would be painful. 
The hook was in her quite deeply and was designed to keep her from getting away. She realized that the most dangerous time for her would be right after she escaped the hook, if she could at all. After she freed herself, she would still be in close proximity to the hook, and it wouldn't be long before he sensed she was gone, and he had always told her she was the one for him and that he would never let her go. He also said that she would never survive without him. She started planning her escape, but it wasn't easy. She soon started to realize just how wounded she was, just how much the hook had hurt her. Could she even survive in the sea without him? She would need to find a place to rest, a place to heal after her escape. Many fish swam by and saw the line, but they didn't understand the hook and how deeply it was a part of her now. They said to themselves, why doesn't she just leave that line? And they shook their fishy heads. They didn't see how deeply the hook had her trapped. They didn't realize what leaving the line would cost her. They didn't appreciate how dangerous it was. Then she heard about a sanctuary for fish like her run by understanding fish. Not many fish really understood what she was going through or the pain she was in. She knew she could go there and her experience would be validated. Indeed, it might be her only shot at escape from the hook. One night, as the hook was sleeping, she decided to escape. It was painful and she was in shock without him. Part of her just wanted to go back to him. After all, she loved him. She decided to put herself first, though, and swam to the fish shelter with all her might. It took all of her strength to get there. This was not the first time she had tried to escape. She left him one afternoon, but he quickly found her. He had put a location transmitter on her fin, and she hadn't realized it. She was easy prey and had gone right back on the hook. Later, she would hear stories from multiple other fishes about their attempts to escape. She was shocked to learn that it took the average fish seven escape attempts to get away from the hook, and some never made it. They would be pulled to the surface of the water and devoured, never to swim again. But this time, she knew she would make it. She had found the transmitter, detached it from her fin, and let it float to the bottom of the ocean, where she hoped he would search for her, buying her time to get to the shelter. As much as she wanted to send him fish waves to communicate with him after she got settled in the shelter, the fish who ran it discouraged her from it and told her to tune out her fish hearing as much as possible. They called it going no contact. The fish waves he was sending her were just attempts to get her to come back to him and get back on the hook. They may tell her wonderful and enticing things, but they were just a version of the siren song she had heard about when she was growing up. And she knew very well what happened to those who listened to their siren's call. 
they didn't make it. There were other fish at the shelter that were having second thoughts. What if he could really change? That's what his fish waves were telling them. The wise older fish who ran the shelter asked them if the hook changed when they had returned before. Dazzled by the promises of a return to the way things were in the beginning. And for a while, they had been shiny as they had started out. But that soon faded. After all, the wise old fish had said, a hook is still a hook, no matter how you dress it up. And so it was that the fish stayed there and healed. She started learning all she could about hooks and how they ensnared unsuspecting fish like her. She found that it didn't matter whether the fish were pretty or plain, wealthy or just getting by. The hooks snared them all the same, and it was difficult to get away. She also found out how common hooks were and just how much the average fish didn't know about them. She decided to make it her mission to educate fish about hooks, what they look like, how they behaved, so they could avoid the pain she had gone through. There would always be scars from the hook, but she was as wide-eyed and clear as ever about her purpose in the world. If she could keep other fish from experiencing the pain she had gone through, keep them from having to live with scars like hers, it would all be worth it. And that is the story that I wrote called The Fish and the Hook. If you hadn't guessed, I'm the fish. And that's why I have been doing this whole challenge. Because it is my mission now to help other fish, other women escape from their hooks. Because it's just so hard to see sometimes that you're not with the person you think you are, but instead you are hooked. So let's help each other escape from those hooks together. Now let's talk about hooks. What are they? Who are they? What do they look like? Why do they do what they do? These hooks can go by different names. We can call them abusive people, narcissists, people who are toxic to be in a relationship with. In my master's course, we called them perpetrators. And many of them fall into what's called cluster B personality types. These cluster Bs are broken up into six different categories, and you will probably recognize some, if not all of them. Psychopath, the sociopath, those with narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial disorder, borderline personality disorder, and histrionic personality disorder. That last one you may not be familiar with. That's what they actually think that Marilyn Monroe had. But if you are one of the cluster B personality types, one of those six, you engage in a cycle of abuse with your victims. And most people don't know about this cycle of abuse. I didn't know about it. I had no idea that people were out there that had such different mindsets. And it is a completely different mindset if you are a cluster B personality disorder. One of the things that characterizes them 
is their lack of empathy. And they have actually done studies on the brain with people that are cluster B personality disorders. And they have found, I think this is so fascinating, that their empathy receptors are thinner and in some cases, non-existent, thinner than the average person or non-existent. The non-existent empathy is with psychopaths or sociopaths. Psychopaths definitely don't have any empathy. I saw a great example of this recently when I started watching the show Killing Eve. It centers around a woman, an assassin, who is a psychopath. And she just doesn't feel any empathy at all. There's a scene in the beginning that I think is so interesting. She's sitting in an ice cream parlor. She's sitting by herself. The door is in front of her. And in front of the door is another table. And there's a little girl facing her. And the little girl's eating her ice cream. And this character, Villanelle is her name. She looks at the little girl and she gives a little smile. But the smile doesn't really reach her eyes. And the girl doesn't smile back. Villanelle is fascinated by this. And she watches as the girl looks over at the person behind the counter serving the ice cream. And she smiles at him after he smiles at her. And she watches the way the gentleman's eyes crinkle up when he smiles and how the girl returns this. So she decides to try. She looks at the little girl and gives her a full face smile that reaches her eyes. And the girl returns it. And you begin to think, oh, this is sweet. And then Villanelle gets up and she's walking towards the door. And as she goes past the little girl, she knocks her ice cream into her lap, causing the girl to be in shock with the cold of the ice cream and the fact that her wonderful ice cream is now in her lap. And what does Villanelle do? She just gives a little smile. She gets enjoyment out of hurting other people because she doesn't have any empathy receptors. It's just not possible for her. One of the six cluster B personality disorders is really interesting. This is the narcissistic personality disordered individual. And the interesting thing about NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, is it acts like a Russian doll. And what do I mean by that? So if you have a Russian doll, there's a small one that fits into a bigger one. It fits into a bigger one like that. And NPD can fit into any of the others. So you can be a sociopath and a narcissist. You can be a narcissist and borderline personality disorder. You can be any of the others and be a narcissist, which is probably the reason that when we think of abusive people, oftentimes the first thing that comes to our mind is the narcissist. These are people who have a grandiose idea of themselves and they feel like they deserve the best. They're above the rules. So many different criteria apply to narcissists. And my ex was indeed a narcissist, possibly some others, but definitely a narcissist. So you may start to think about who you were in a relationship with and where they fit on that scale. But if you are a cluster B personality disorder, you engage in this cycle of abuse. So what do I mean when I talk about a cycle of abuse? 
Okay. So it starts with love bombing. That's the way the relationship starts. This person makes you feel incredible. They make you think that they are the perfect person. And this is who you've been waiting for all your life. They shower you with attention and affection. And they really, really make you feel loved, which is why it's called love bombing. It's beyond a honeymoon phase. There is just something almost magical about it. And it's so honoring almost to be the receiving end of this type of affection. So we start with the love bombing. And then next we get to the tension building phase. And the tension building phase is after they've hooked you with the love bombing, hooked like the fish in the hook, Mm -hmm. they start to do things to build tension. They start to criticize you. They start to control you. And we'll talk in a bit more about course of control. Things start feeling like what is going on? And the tension starts building and building and building as you go through this phase. And then it gets to the blow-up phase, the explosion phase. And this is where something sets them off. It could be a teeny tiny little thing. You've been walking on eggshells in the tension-building phase. So you've got your tension-building phase, and then you have the blow-up phase. So they blow up and you're thinking, what in the world happened? And it's really jarring and really shocking when you go through this blow up phase. And it seems disproportionate to what has happened or the thing that seemingly made them explode. And they may just give you a tirade of verbal abuse and criticism and be mad at you and yelling at you. This may be the moment when they break into physical violence if it has gotten to that point in your relationship with that explosion phase. When you're thinking, what in the world? Like, what did I do to deserve this? And you may be shocked by this. You may retreat back into your shell. You may have a variety of responses to this blow-up phase. But what will happen after the blow-up phase is they will go back to the honeymoon phase again, and they will start love bombing you again. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I'll never do anything like that again. And after you've been on this roller coaster of a cycle that happens, there might be things like gifts. And what happens when you go on this cycle over and over and over again is that moment when you go from the explosion phase to the love bombing again, creates something called trauma bonding. And it's where they are the cause of the pain with the explosion, but also they are the ones that are helping you relieve that pain. And if you've been through this cycle long enough, you just want something to make that pain stop. And they make the pain stop by love bombing you. And it's really disorienting. It's a little bit like Stockholm syndrome. 
you feel like you can't leave and you really get stuck. And if you choose at the end of the explosion phase to leave, you say, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. This isn't sustainable. Another thing that they will do is called hoovering. I think this originated from the UK because here they don't call it vacuuming. They call it hoovering and they hoover you right back into the relationship. How do they do this? They utilize all the things that worked before, all of their love bombing skills that they were so good at. And just like in the story that I read, the fish and the hook, they make you think that they're going to change. But here's the kicker. They can't change. Or said another way, they won't change. About 3% of abusers end up changing. That is male abusers. Female abusers, it almost never happens. It's as rare as a unicorn. And I think the reason for this is they don't want to change. They are getting their needs met by what is happening. They have no reason to change. Society isn't holding them accountable. And you know what? If something happens to you, if you leave, or if they leave you, or in the cases where the abuse victim is killed even, they will just move on to someone else. Now, how many people are there in the world that are like this? This may be shocking, but almost 20% of the general population have a cluster B personality disorder and engage in the cycle of abuse, the love bombing, the tension building phase, the explosion phase, and back and back and back again. And what will happen with this cycle of abuse is it will get worse over time, worse and worse. And it's hard to recognize this cycle when you're in it. But if you take a step back and you're objective and you really think about what's going on, it's this cycle and it's a pattern of behavior. So it's really a misnomer when we say domestic violence, because when we think of violence, we think of a physically violent act and an incident that happens one time. Oh, he lost his temper. It happened one time. No, 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 no. This is a cycle that's been happening over and over again. And the reason it is in place is to get you to stay and for them to get what they need. What do they get out of this? Control, which we'll get to in a second, but also something called narcissistic supply. Christian Northrup, a women's doctor, wrote a book about energy vampires, which I think is the perfect explanation to describe them. Because it's like they puncture you with a straw, your beingness, and they start sucking out your personality, your energy, who you are, and you start to get smaller and smaller, smaller version of yourself. You have to give up parts of yourself to keep from the explosion phase happening. You have to give up parts of yourself and walk on eggshells instead to keep from being punished by them with that explosion phase, because it's really a punishment. And it's almost like a parent-child relationship. And you become the child and they're the parent saying, oh, you did it again. You shouldn't have done this. What's wrong with you? 
And in that tension building phase, it can be everything from you loaded the dishwasher wrong. What's wrong with you to like in my story, oh, you didn't turn off the light in the hallway when you went to another room or when you went to another floor, what's wrong with you? And you have to do things the way they want them done or else you will be punished. But it's hard to objectively see it like this, especially when they employ something called gaslighting. And gaslighting is something that makes you feel crazy and it puts you off kilter. And you begin to think that you're reliant on this person because you can't trust your own sanity. And along with this comes isolation. They like to isolate you from people in your outside life, from your friends, from your family, maybe even from your job. They like to isolate you. At one point in time, my ex told me, you know what? I I think we just need to sell your car and just use my truck. And maybe piano students can just come to you for lessons. They said, none of my piano students are where we live. They're all 30 to 45 minutes drive away. And that didn't end up happening, but that was towards the end when I was starting to realize that something was going wrong. And that was his way of wanting to isolate me. And he would have pushed it if I would have stayed longer because that meant my independence. And these people do not want you to be independent. They want you to be dependent on them. Because if you're independent, they can't get that energy from you, like sucking it out of a straw. One other thing that they do is they like to blame. So look for this in your relationships and people that you meet. Somebody who blames other people a lot instead of taking responsibility, they never feel that they were wrong. And as a result, They don't apologize. I mean, really apologize. Not the kind of apology where you're like, oh, I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry you felt that way when I did whatever. No, a genuine, I am so sorry. I apologize. I'm going to try not to do that again. They just can't do that because they're never wrong. And as a result, they play the victim often. What happened with me is he would be verbally abusive. And I would say to him, it makes me feel really hurt when you say or do whatever it was. And instead of taking that in and talking about it, it was like hitting a brick wall. It would bounce right off. And he would say, well, you make me feel when you do. He could not take it in. He could not be introspective and he could not change because he didn't want to change. There are several books about these processes that can help you understand what this type of person is thinking and their frame of mind, help you recognize them a little better. So you can start to view your own trauma story in the relationship through the lens of what actually happened, not how you felt like it happened. You may think, oh, I just didn't try hard enough, or I didn't do enough things so they would change, or I I really was an idiot, or whatever it is that you're telling yourself in your story, it might not be what reality actually is, like the fish in the hook. You might not realize that you're the fish and you were caught by a hook. And when other people say, oh, why didn't you just leave or, or whatever, it's not that simple. 
because it's so painful to leave. They make it so difficult. Your relationship was set up from the beginning to keep you from leaving, to keep you from being your own person, to keep you from thinking your own thoughts, to keep you from wanting to do anything but what that person you're in the relationship with wants you to do. So some books I would recommend is Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men by Lundy Bancroft. He is someone who put together the first batter's intervention class in the United States. And it is so eye-opening to go through the different types of abusers. And he frames this in a male lens. Abusers can be male or female, but he frames it as a male and the different types of men that you will come across that are abusive, what they're thinking, what they want. It's very eye-opening. And the other one that was super helpful for me is called The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. And it just really shows you how their frame of mind is totally different than yours. In the show Killing Eve, there is a scene with an expert on psychopaths. And one of the characters asks, can they be managed? Can their behavior be managed? And he says, you know, a lot of people think of psychopaths as you're a normal person plus all these bad characteristics. But he says, instead of that, no, you don't add, you subtract because they're absolutely different than a normal person. Take away everything that makes them human, the empathy, the kindness, the caring about other people. You take away, and that's when you get the picture of a psychopath. And it's similar with other cluster B personality types. Before we go into our tapping, let's talk about coercive control a little bit. So this is a term that actually originated from a professor named Evan Stark. And he is an American professor, but his work didn't catch on in the U.S. It caught on in the U.K. And what has started to happen in the U.K. is it's become talked about. It's become talked about in the media. Now it's a crime to engage in coercive control with someone. And in the United States, this is starting to happen. There are starting to be laws that are passed against coercive control. Now, you may say, oh, how can you control somebody's mind or what they're thinking or, or whatever? I mean, how can you legislate against that? But this is not that at all. This is proving a pattern of what has been happening in the relationship. And then you can prosecute that. So he wrote this excellent, meaty, thick book about coercive control, calling it the entrapment of women in their personal lives. And he really frames coercive control as a liberty crime. This is a crime against your personhood. Because when you're in one of these relationships, you're not allowed to like your own things. You're not allowed to eat whatever you want. In my case, there can be reproductive control. I'm not allowed to do whatever it is. And you can look at your own story and fit in for yourself, whatever that was for you that you were not allowed to do in that relationship because of the control exerted by that person you were in a relationship with. I came into my master's degree of understanding domestic and sexual violence 
thinking that emotional abuse is at the heart of all abuse and that every relationship that's abusive starts with emotional and it leads to the physical and it's just this continuum. But what I've realized is it's more like an iceberg. And when you see physical violence, that's just a symptom that's on top of the water that you can see. And what's under the water, what's supporting that, the foundation of that iceberg is all coercive control. It's a pattern. It's that person getting to know you so well, and they do this in the love bombing phase. They get to know you so well, your hopes and your dreams, your joys and your fears, all of this, so they can use that against you. And it's this foundation of control that really is the base of the whole relationship. I see it like a board game. You're in a board game instead of a relationship. And you don't even realize you're in the board game. You don't even realize you're playing. And this other person has set up the rules to make sure you don't leave. And those rules are unique to you and unique to what you have been through, to your tastes, to your fears, and they know what to do to press a certain button so you won't leave the game, to keep you in the game. And if you do leave the game, what can they do to get you back into the game? So it's really about control. It's never about loss of control. If there is alcohol or drugs involved, like alcoholism, that type of a thing, or heavy drug use, they will use that as an excuse. Oh, I lost control because I was drunk. But really, they know what they're doing. And they know that when they drink, they almost have an excuse to make either the violence or whatever type of abuse they are perpetrating towards you worse. They know what they're doing. So You may think, oh, if this person can just get dry, if they can get sober, then they'll be awesome. No. If you get rid of that, you will just have a sober abuser and you'll still have the same problem, which is tricky because it can keep you in this hope that if they would only go to rehab, if they would only whatever, things would be better. My therapist told me you can keep trying things to save the relationship and to save the marriage until you're 90 years old. But what you need to do is keep trying until you're satisfied that this person is never going to change. What are the odds that the person you are with or have been with are going to change? Are they in that 3% that can change? And is it worth it to you to go through all of this just to see if they can be one of those people that are in the 3%. So coercive control is a liberty crime. In fact, Evan Stark compares it to being a POW who is imprisoned, a prisoner of war. And he says it's even worse than being kidnapped because if you're kidnapped, that person doesn't know how to get to you. They don't know you inside out. But if you're a prisoner of war, it's even worse than that. Because you know what to expect. You know the beating's going to come. You know you've been taken by another side against your will. But it's so hard to know that and to recognize that when you're in this type of a relationship. It's almost like you've been 
kidnapped in your own house, in your own life, and people are walking by just like those fish swimming by, and they don't see that you have been kidnapped. You don't even realize it. But that has happened, and your rights, the way you think, your right to be, your right to think certain things, your right to say, hey, that really hurt me, and not have somebody say, no, that didn't hurt you. How do you know? You're not inside my mind. Your right to live free of someone trying to gaslight you and make you feel crazy. So it's a very strategic way of approaching the relationship. It's not normal. Trust me. So we're going to get into a tapping session now. Before we do that, I want to mention the importance of boundaries. And as you are coming out of this relationship, know that these types of people hate boundaries. So if you're dipping your toe back out and you're thinking, how can I know if somebody is abusive or not? There are a lot of ways to tell, but one of the big ones is boundaries. They hate boundaries. So what can you do for yourself where you think, okay, I can put some boundaries into place for myself because boundaries, they're not a bad word. Boundaries are for your protection. And someone, it was a therapist or a friend, gave me the metaphor once of boundaries as a house. So you are a house. You are your yard and you have a gate. You're not going to put a wall up so nobody can get in, but you're going to create a gate that you can open and close. And you can close this gate to anyone you want. You decide who gets to come into your yard. You decide who gets to be on your porch. Maybe a smaller amount of people you let into your living room or your kitchen. And a really small amount of people can go into your bedroom because that is an intimate space in you, in your house, in your life. So you get to decide. You don't have to be a yes person and say yes to everybody who wants anything from you. You get to protect yourself and protect your boundaries. And it's a very empowering thing to do. Okay, so let's get to our tapping session today. As we have talked about in the other sessions, tapping is something that will calm your brain and lets you get out all of the maybe subconscious thoughts that you've been thinking, the negative thoughts. And once you get rid of that, you can replace it with something positive because you have to face the truth of the negative that you're thinking and feeling and experiencing before you can start replacing that with something else. You can't just be like positive, positive, positive. As I've said before, that's like trying to put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. You have to get the bullet out first before you can start to heal from it and replace that with something positive and something healing and something you want to be there. So we've got nine different points we're going to tap through. We've got the head, we've got the eyebrows, we've got the side of the eye, underneath the eye, underneath the nose, and you can use just one finger lengthwise. In the chin crease, same thing, one finger. Under the collarbone, under your arm at the bra line, and then your wrists together. And we will just keep going through those different points. Now, the first time we do this, I will say what those points are 
So if you're listening on audio, you'll remember what they are. And then after that, I will just go through the different phrases and you can choose to stay on one point longer, or maybe you just want to tap on one point and that's it. That's totally fine. This is up to you. You make this yours. And when we start, we're going to start tapping on the side of the hand with three opening statements that are just going to really set our intention, make us feel safe and anchor us in. So before we start, let's think about our story, our trauma story, our relationship with that person in our body. What does that feel like? If that is kind of gross, what does that feel like in intensity to you on a scale from zero to 10? So just close your eyes and feel into that and think, where am I at on that scale of stress or de-stress on the scale from one to 10? Okay, so go ahead and close your eyes and we're going to begin tapping on the side of the hand and you're just going to repeat after me. I'll say a phrase and you just repeat it either in your head or out loud, whatever works for you. Take a deep breath just to start while you're tapping on your hand and another deep breath. Go ahead and repeat after me. Even though I was stuck in this relationship, I'm open to healing from it. And I absolutely and completely love, accept, and forgive myself. Even though I was in this relationship longer than I wanted to be, I absolutely and completely love, accept, and forgive myself. I'm open to the idea of feeling safe And I absolutely and completely love, accept, and forgive myself. I'm going to go to the top of the head now. And if not everything applies to you, that's okay. Just go ahead and keep tapping. You're going to get the benefit from it anyway. All right, so we're on the top of the head tapping now. My relationship was so painful. Eyebrows. But it was so hard to leave. Side of the eye. How could I stay in something that caused me so much pain? under the eye. What kind of person does that? Under the nose. Was I just asking for it? And the chin crease now. 
I knew something was wrong. But I didn't realize what it was. Collarbone. And now I can see all of the things that happened under the arm with the bra strap line. I can see them as a cycle of abuse. Wrists together. But I haven't let myself identify as an abuse victim. Back to the head. And we'll go ahead without talking about what body points we're going to next. An abuse victim just seems so extreme. Is that really what I went through? I used to think that was something that happened to other people. But knowing that 20% of people are like that makes sense that I would come across them. I thought I was the only one this happened to. But now I realize I'm one of the 40% who have found themselves victimized by cluster bees. And I can see the control now. I'm thinking about all the ways they controlled me. And that felt really gross. It felt like I was losing myself. I can never make them happy. I can never do enough. And I was always walking on eggshells. Waiting for the next shoe to drop. And whenever it did, I would ask myself how I got here. How is this my life? And I would think that I didn't deserve any better. Because they told me I didn't. And I believed them. But 
but I had a hook in me. And I didn't realize they had hooked me in. And I'm open to believing that they were not who they said they were. That the real them was just wearing a mask. And the person I fell in love with doesn't really exist. They were just a mask put on by this person to make me fall for them. And it worked. And every time after they would explode, they would make me believe that next time would be better. But it never was. And they never changed. But I'm open to believing that I deserve more. I deserve more than someone who controls me. I deserve someone who has empathy. I deserve someone who is willing to grow with me. Instead of put me down. I deserve kindness. And I deserve true love. Not what seems like love, but is rooted in control. And I choose to be gentle with myself. To forgive myself for loving this person, for being duped by them, by being drawn into their web. I am human after all. And I didn't know what was happening to me. But now I know. And that changes everything. I'm open to the idea of never being a victim again. Because I deserve better. 
And I know that if that's the best they can do, that's not a life I want to live with. But being with them And I'm open to loving myself and being my own best friend. And I am open to a life without them. I'm open to healing and I'm open to growth And I'm open to appreciating all the wonderful things about me. Now that I understand what has happened, I am going forward. I'm open to setting boundaries. I'm open to saying no. I'm open to not having to be nice to everyone. Because not everybody deserves to be let into my gate. Not everybody deserves to be in my yard on my porch or in my house. I'm open to being empowered by putting boundaries around myself to protect me. And I'm excited by the idea that I can fill my life with people who are safe and who love me for being me and who don't want to change me. I'm open to seeing all the possibilities in my future As I heal and as I go from my trauma into healing and triumph. Go ahead and take a deep breath and open your eyes. hope that was powerful and healing for you and that you got something out of that. My inner cheerleader, Peach Angelica, has something to say about that. Darling, you have made the best decision in your life by deciding to never be with somebody like that again because you deserve so much better. You deserve somebody who loves you for you because you are unique and you are incredible. Like, 
Who would want to change that? Oh my goodness. So darling, you keep being you. You keep healing and you keep reframing your story now that you know what has really gone on in your past and in your relationship. And I'm so excited for your new life with all those boundaries to protect you. You are an empowered woman, my friend, and you're doing amazing. You keep it up. All right. Now let's look at the challenge for today. We've got some journaling prompts related to what we've talked about. What is the trauma story about your relationship that you've been telling yourself? So just look at that in light of what we talked about today and see, do I need to rewrite my story the way I'm thinking about it? What I've been through, is it really different than I initially thought it was and recorded it as? In what ways have you experienced coercive control? We talked about a lot of them, but there are so many because they're unique to the individual experiencing it and they're unique to the relationship. So in what ways have you experienced coercive control? How have you been the hero or heroine of your own story and healing journey? And how have you liberated yourself? This is such an exciting way to reframe what you've been through because you are the hero or heroine of your story. What boundaries can you put in place in your life and what purpose can you give them? So when you think of boundaries just for no reason, they seem like a lot of work. But when there's a purpose behind that particular boundary, a way of protecting yourself from something, that makes a huge difference. And lastly, how can you celebrate your wins along this healing journey? It's easy to just go from milestone to milestone in this healing journey and not stop, not give yourself credit for where you have made it to. You're on this mountain of healing that you're climbing and you can look down and see all the places that you have made it to, to get you where you're at right now. Those are milestones. Those are celebrations. So what can you do to celebrate those? Maybe have a dance party. That's a good one. Thank you so much for being on this session today. I know it's a little longer than our other ones have been, but such juicy, good content. And I hope it resonates with you. And I hope that this is helpful as you look at your own trauma story and start to frame it in the light of what happened to you, what really happened to you, and in the light of coercive control as you go on this journey from trauma to triumph. Thank you so much for being here. 